This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 92 of the De Facto Leaders Podcast. I am really excited today because I have a special guest, Angie Merced, who is a speech-language pathologist and a life coach for speech pathologists and other healthcare and education providers who are experiencing burnout. So in this episode, we get into some of the root causes of burnout among those professions, as well as some tips and strategies to work through them. And Angie also mentions some resources and places to go that you can get support if you are experiencing burnout. I also wanted to mention that next week, the first week of January 2023, Angie is opening the doors to her Stop Dreading Mondays program, so there will be more information about that program in the show notes and in the interview. And then finally, before we get going, I wanted to share a brand new resource that I just created. It is a free guide that includes 30 skills and tools to help you foster generalization in your students. Many times therapists struggle, whether you're an SLP, psychologist, social worker, or other practitioner, many times we struggle to help our students generalize the skills that we're teaching them in therapy because we don't see our students for as much time as we'd like and there's not a lot of time to collaborate with others so that we're training them to facilitate the skills that students need across the day. So 
it can be a big challenge to figure out creative ways to serve your caseload to make sure that they have the support they need across their day. And the key to doing that is through a technique that I refer to as asset stacking. And really what you do when you do this technique is that you're creating tools that you can use over and over again that essentially help you share your knowledge. And I know that this concept can be a little bit difficult to wrap your brain around. So that's why I wanted to create a free resource for you to outline some examples of assets you can create to foster generalization. So I outline 30 of the assets that you can build to help facilitate carryover in your students. To download that free guide, all you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash generalization. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash generalization. So now please enjoy this interview with SLP burnout coach, Angie Merced. Today I am joined by Angie Merced, the SLP burnout coach. So thank you so much for being here with me. Gosh, hi, Karen. I'm I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. So I thought we could start off by having you just share a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, yes. So I am a life coach and I'm also a school-based speech language pathologist. And I work with SL, mostly SLPs, right? But those in education and in healthcare to recover from and prevent burnout. My program. And I love it. So I think it's really interesting because those of us in the therapy world have seen this big boom in the coaching industry. And obviously therapy and coaching are not the same thing, but there's some similarities and you do both. So what do you see are the differences between working with a coach versus working with a therapist? Okay. So I do both as in I, I do speech therapy. Right. Right. So, (laughs) but not like therapy that like you would have with like maybe a a psychologist or a a social worker, not that type of therapy per se. Right. But then I also do life coaching. Right. Right now when when I work with SLPs and adults. Um, And so really the difference between therapy and coaching though, I would say is coaching is really more. Um, future focus, not mm-hmm. a future, like that focused on the now and how are we going to get you from where you are now to mm-hmm. where you want to be, right? And and there, uh, whereas therapy, you might do more like past work from your past or work through things like that. But in coaching, it's more of a future focused mm-hmm. and focused on the now, focused on, right. okay, where yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard it explained that way as well. And obviously, you know, I, I'm an SLP as well. So that's, it's different than psychotherapy. But I imagine when you went through your life coach training, that was probably a question that came up. Because if you are somebody who does life coaching, is that a question that comes up a lot? Like, how is this different than therapy? When should I do one versus another? If I am struggling with overwhelm and burnout? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that definitely comes up. Um, 
It is sometimes there's like, I'm definitely not a therapist, right? But for, for me, for me, I was in therapy for a lot of years. And um, although it made me feel better when I went to therapy, it really wasn't, it, it was keeping me, it was sustaining me at least, but I really wasn't making a lot of progress from at least from the therapy that I was, was doing. And for me, coaching, coaching was uh, more effective because really gave me like really specific tools to practice really. And, and then I would actually apply them to my real life and, and get, go back and get feedback and tweak and then keep going from there. So it really coaching for me built my tool set and it built my capacity so that I could grow into the continue to grow into the future self. Yeah. I I totally know what you mean cuz I've done I've done a lot of therapy and coaching, different kinds of coaching. There's, you know, life coaching, there's business coaching and then there's life coaches who help you with your business and all of this all these different things. And sometimes yes, you need to sit there and you need to vent and you need to work through your whatever your traumas are and and all of those things, but I've always felt like once I get it out, I want to know what do I do? Like what are my steps forward because otherwise you're just you're just sitting there and you're not actually doing anything. Sometimes the way that you actually work through things is to actually do something tangible, like do something that's a little bit uncomfortable, change a system or a process or a routine or a habit or whatever it is. And if you're just sitting there talking about the things that happened in the past, that only gets you so far. And this is definitely like, I still go to therapy. I still do coaching as well. I'm definitely not saying it's not valuable, but it's just different. Sometimes you need something different. Yeah, sometimes. Right. And, and for me, I like, and every therapist is different, right? But yeah. in, in coaching, I find that. So the way I coach and the way I have been coached is, is we teach the framework of how we're coaching. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, the process and then how, and then you learn how to use it on yourself. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So you work with a lot of, SLPs, obviously, and maybe some other people who are in education and healthcare. What are some of the biggest things that come up for the people that you work with? Like, why are they coming to you initially? Yeah, because they're, they just don't have the energy to even most, most of the time it's, they're feeling overwhelmed they feel behind, they feel, I I usually describe it like they feel like their life is just constantly coming at them mm-hmm. and they're just having to either, either they're at the point of where they're pushing themselves through every day, or they feel like they're being dragged through <laughs> their day yeah. every day. And like, ugh, just taking a moment for like the heaviness of that, like, like that's not, I think it's, it's almost become the norm. Like I see it everywhere. Um, but it's, it doesn't have to be that way. 
And I think yeah. we need to, we need to just like, ex- we need to accept that. Like, oh, this, it, it doesn't, not that there's anything wrong with me if I'm feeling that way, because it's so common. It's in our culture. It's, it's very common thing that, that you see. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. So when people are complaining of, they're saying that they're overwhelmed, they're saying they're burnt out. So that's obviously the symptom of something else. I imagine that when you actually start working with people, there's something underneath that that is actually causing that, that maybe they don't realize, but you do. What are some things that you've noticed in that type of a situation? Like what's the real reason that they're overwhelmed or burnt out? Yeah, so three big things that I've uncovered in doing this work with, especially with SLPs, is we start talking about, you know, what's not working and the underlying cause of everything that's not working. I always find that it's tied to three things. It could be um, three, three like mental constructs or patterns Mm -hmm. that are in our brains that are in our subconscious. And we're just living those out. And they come from uh, perfectionist tendencies. Like I've never met an SLP that doesn't have that on some level. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so that's when, you know, we're trying to hold ourselves to these just impossible standards. And so either we're overworking or we have a lot of um, freeze response and initiation. It's hard to even start things because we've set the bar to impossible. So of course we don't want to do what we, (laughs) yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, so there's that piece. So every pattern that we find is either tied to, let me just see, say the three perfectionism, hyper productivity programming, or people pleasing. Mm -hmm. So, um, the hyper productivity programming always that Usually that ties back to just most of us growing up in our educational system, in our culture, we get the programming that what we do, what we produce is equal to our worth, right? Yeah. Just a lie, a big lie, big, huge lie. But most of us have, I mean, maybe, I mean, no one ever told me that explicitly, but I know I felt that way. I've always, I have felt that way for sure. And, and the thing is, is we, we do and do and do and overdo because we're trying to prove our worth. Like it goes pretty deep and and it's not like a conscious thing. Like we're not doing that on purpose and, and we end up overworking or having a hard time getting through our work because then again, there again, we're setting like impossible standards for ourselves. Uh, so, you know, you're, you know, so what I teach is your worth is just, your worth is just is because mm-hmm. you're human, because you're human. It's not about what you produce. Um, and then the third one, the people pleasing response um, you've probably heard on or fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, or fight, flight, freeze, and appease. 
So that people-pleasing response, you know, that's a response that we've been conditioned into really for safety, just generational, cultural, educational, you know, please make people happy. Don't rock the boat. Don't break the rules. Follow along. Don't, you know, don't make a, uh, was it, don't, don't make a, what is that saying? A ruckus. Don't cause a ruckus. <laughs> ruckus, right? Like, don't feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so we turn into like rule followers to the point of where we, we start to, uh, not honor our own desires and our own creativity and we stop trusting ourselves. Um, I know SLPs are famous for like asking questions that, <laughs> that we don't, I always say, don't never ask questions you don't want the answers to, right? <laughs> I think sometimes people, you ask questions, you're asking the wrong question, or you're asking a question for something that you don't really need, like approval from someone else in trying to get permission. I mean, you're, you're asking a question, a question to get to feel better about something that you want to do that you've already decided that you want to do. And you're, you want other people to tell you it's okay to do it. When instead you could just do it, like just decide to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I, I see that a lot, even with just procedural stuff, like you yeah. might have a system that works really well for you, but then we have to make a big deal, right? And oh, make gosh. it complicated because if you ask your boss a question, they have to tell you the, you know, buy the book, right. Answer that they have that most of the time, for us, like your boss might not even be a speech pathologist or no, right? So they don't even know what works <laughs> best a lot of times. So anyway, so all of that, it, it just, um, it, it makes us lose trust in ourselves, in our creativity, in our intuition. Um, and so that we're reliant on, like you said, the permission and the acknowledgement of others. And when we don't get that, we don't, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. So I think what people sometimes don't realize is that when you stop trying so hard to just focus on the output or just focus on acceptance from others, you actually get more of it. So for example, when I was in the schools, there was this administrator who was hired as a curriculum director. And then they were like, oh, by the way, you're handling special ed as well. And she didn't have a special ed background, but she was you know, an intelligent person who could do research. So she came to the whole special ed department and just said, here's the way I want you to handle your IEPs. Shockingly, it did not, it was not very feasible for the SLPs, which often happened in the special ed department. And instead of just getting worried about it, I just just suggested, I was just kind of like, hey, how about we do it this way? You know, does this work? And she was fine with it, but she had to give that by the book instruction. That's her job. Her job was to come, just tell the department, give us direction. And if you do it in a diplomatic way and you're not worried about it being an argument, a lot of times people are open to working with you and they're open to your suggestions. And if you do it in a way that doesn't come across as just complaining without 
coming up with a solution. A lot of times people are are happy to do that. Like if you're working with a school administrator, they want you to make their lives easier. So if you're actually coming with suggestions that it's going to take work off their plate, a lot of times it's a lot easier to advocate. And again, you can't you can't just always worry for, about them giving you approval because you know, if that's the case, then they might not even know what to suggest to you, especially if they're not an SLP. I think a lot of times people like that actually appreciate it if you can present things in a way that's like, hey, here's a suggestion. Here's how we can make this easier rather than, you know, I think a lot of times it's sort of presented like, oh, they're, they don't understand us and this and that. And it's like, mm, they're human too. They're, yeah. they're trying to do their best. A lot of times you don't have to necessarily give permission from them. They might actually like it if you took some initiative there. And I think, you, you know, when you're in your place of burnout, sometimes it's really, really hard to come up with those. Yeah. Just those problems. Because at that point, you've lost a lot of trust in yourself. Right. Yeah. Being able to come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when you're in burnout, I always say like things, they kind of close in on you. The the blinders kind of come in and it's really hard to, to think creatively and and problem solve. Um, So there's that piece of, of, you know, rebuilding trust in yourself. Yeah, that is, I think people don't always realize that you have to create the space for the creativity and for you to kind of engage in problem solving. Because if you're in fight or flight, you're not even, you're protecting yourself. You're not in the stage where you're going to be coming up with, you're you're not in a stage where you're going to innovate and be creative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, so much compassion, compassion for, people in burnout, which is, a which is, I, I would say more than 50%, right? Like, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. So I imagine a lot of the work you do is about creating that space. So you can even get to the point where you can think about that. So I know that as I was looking through some of the resources on your site, I know you have a, a really great free guide and there's something in there you talk about front loading. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and why it's helpful to kind of get people into a good mental space? Yes. So front loading is one of the things I, I teach so that you can reduce decision fatigue. So that's one of the things that really drains your energy throughout your day. We're making lots of decisions throughout our day. And so just thinking about the things in your routine that you can make more automatic for yourself. Mm -hmm. I always use the example of just take the week and decide what you're going to wear all week. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Less, uh, less decisions you have to make. It's, it's not for everyone, right? But, or, or decide on, you know, what, what food are you going to eat or, Bring the same thing for lunch every day or not all of these fit with, with everyone's style or, you know, um, in the, in the, at the end of the year, I 
do all the report templates for the students that I know I need to test the next year. Mm -hmm. So just things like that, where it's, that is, you know, a fairly mindless activity for me to do at the end of the year, just get all the templates set up for those students. But then the next year, wow, that saves me just so much, (laughs) you know, that, that initiation. So I've got those reports templates started already. Um, just little, little things like that, um, that reduce the steps in something or reduce you having to make more decisions throughout your day. The one little caveat I would say about that is that when you're going to try front loading, it has to be something that's, starting out it really has to be something that's fun for you like yeah for me like I love clothes so I I've, I started to love picking out what I was gonna I started to love front loading my clothes whatever it is for you you don't want to um I always say you don't want to efficiency hack yourself to death right yeah. so yeah <laughs> so pick something that feels easy for you pick something that feels fun for you. Like when I do my, when I set up my templates for the next year, like I put on my music because it's a fairly mindless task that I'm doing. And I've learned to like it because I get to listen to something fun and I'm just kind of mind. I won't want to say mindless, right. But it's, it's lower demand on my brain. It's not necessarily creative work. It's sort of repetitive, administrative type of work. I definitely resonate with the idea of starting with something easy. And it's really interesting how you can use the same concepts that you would if you were teaching a student a skill with yourself. Because I always tell people with, you know, even with the vocabulary framework I teach, I say, teach them the process with words that they know so that they can learn the process and then bring the harder stuff in, get proficient proficient with the routine, and then you can start challenging yourself. The only other time I would say with routines is, I mean, I guess if there's something where it's just causing you so much stress that you need to deal with it right away, then maybe, but otherwise the building the habits it's I think with the whole idea of perfectionism, sometimes people feel like they need to you you begin with the end in mind, but that doesn't mean that you have to have that goal right away. You can just do something that you can stick with. I found that with myself too, where I'm like, oh, here's this thing that I need to do more of. I'm going to just go from zero to 60 and then I'll do it for five days and then I will stop doing it and I won't stick with it instead of just saying, I'm just going to do a little bit every day. And I'm going to do this for a month and then I'm going to come back and then maybe I'll increase it. But the thing is to just do something every day, whatever the habit is. Like I just read Atomic Habits this last year and I really like that. He says something about if you don't work out every day, just go to the gym for five minutes and warm up and leave, which, you know, sounds kind of ridiculous, but he's like, just go, just show up there. Don't make yourself do this two hour long workout or something crazy. Just show up and do it. and then you know, then you can increase. Totally. And that, and that goes back to our perfectionist pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
because it doesn't even occur to us like, oh, so I can work on a report for two minutes. Yeah. Right. That doesn't occur to us, you know, that we can, and and that goes along with like the the chunking things down. Oh yeah. That's big. Things because, you know, burnout recovery, it has to, has to be about ease. It has to be about making things easy for sure. Simple. Yeah. I imagine. So with, with people who are working in education and healthcare, they're having to do evaluations. Writing is one of those things that even people who are very good writers struggle with it. They struggle with that feeling of resistance when they're sitting down to work on something. Is that something that comes up for the people that you work with? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and I think the the chunking piece mm-hmm. is a good strategy where it it sounds so simple, but I keep saying it like you can work on something for two minutes. Yeah. Right. And it just teaches your brain because you'll, you start working, maybe you do two, two, three sentences, but it teaches your brain that, oh, it really wasn't (laughs) usually, usually it teaches your brain that it's, it's really not as bad as I'm making it as my brain is saying it is. Right. Um, so that just that just simplifying things down and chunking things down and i also teach the strategy of doing it badly oh um, yeah that's a good one <laughs> i imagine that is hard for people in this profession oh my gosh it is right because that just like all of a sudden i say well we'll just do it badly and it's just like brain error <laughs> no that's wrong i can't do that but I always say like that it's really, it's not that you're doing it badly, but it's a hack for our perfectionist fantasy brains that set impossible expectations. So the, what the, the strategy is, okay, well, I'm just going to do this badly for two minutes, right? So when your brain says, you're doing this badly. It's really, this is not good. This is terrible work. <laughs> you answer your brain and you say, yeah, I know that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it terribly, but the jokes on your brain, because you're actually doing it, you're doing something right. It's not that it's bad. And right? it's not the finished product. I mean, I think with writing, that is where people get stuck so much when you have to do some kind of written work or even other creative work where you're making a thing that other people are going to see just that idea of trying to make it good on the first draft. It's a first draft. No one's going to see it, but you, maybe you show it to somebody or depending on what it is, but yeah, just, just the idea that it's, everybody has that first draft. (laughs) Yeah. And when you can take that pressure off yourself and say, well, I'm just doing this badly, it actually gives your brain more access to creativity, problem solving, ideas, and your work actually turns out (laughs) better than if, so that's why I say just, I'm telling you, just do it badly. Yeah. (laughs) So when I think about, um, I think there's a good Seth Godin quote where he says, everybody wants to know about your good ideas. He's like, just tell me about your bad ideas. 
most ideas when you are brainstorming aren't going to work, you know, like when, so my, my husband works for state farm and he used to work for the department that is responsible for coming up with, with innovating and come up with coming up with new products. And the whole thing is rapid testing. Like I'm going to test this, I'm going to get it out quickly and I'm going to see what works. And you can have 20 ideas. If you have one that sticks, that's good. It's like, that's a win. And so if you're always thinking, I have to make this perfect, I can't try things, then you're not even going to be able to get to the point where you get that thing. You have to just go. And I think that when we're not really trained to do it that way, and obviously you don't want to do anything crazy in therapy, but a lot of times you do have to try things, you know, just like be comfortable with testing things out. I know that when I work with So if I'm mentoring SLPs in, you know, like language therapy or something like that, a lot of times it's like, I have to, I have to go and watch the whole program. And then I have to, um, you know, just figure out exactly what I'm going to do. And I even had one person give me feedback and said, I think you should tell people exactly what to do, like five minutes of your session, do this. And, you know, and I, and I was like, I can't predict how the student is going to respond you have to be able to to just think on the spot and I tell people all the time watch a little bit and just go try it I promise you are not gonna like do anything harmful for your students if you try something and you don't know how to perfectly explain a word and you have to go look it up then your student gets to see your thought process and gets to see you problem solving you do not have to have this whole thing mapped out, it's okay to get in there and try it. And then, you know, through that process of just testing it out, you do get to the point where you kind of know your routine, and then you don't have to spend as much time planning. And then, you know, it's not winging it because you've done all the work so that you can plan a session really quickly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I always say, remember that we're scientists, we are scientists, we're, you know, if you're if you're clinician, you're on the leading edge of the research research moment to moment um finding out what works and remember you know scientists don't scientists experiment and then when it goes wrong they don't like tell themselves they're terrible because it did right that's part of the scientific process and um you know I've had a lot of people too they 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 come to the program and they say well I want to become an expert because they think, well, if I was an expert in something, then I would feel better. But what we learn is that <laughs> oh. using strategies like doing <laughs> it badly, letting yourself try things, um, relying on your intuition and your creativity and trusting yourself is what makes you an expert. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's it's reasonable to want to be an expert, but. I think that thinking that you need some kind of piece of paper, like, so when I got my additional degrees and training, I thought, oh, this is going to make me feel like an expert. But, you know, you always think, oh, when I get my degree, I'll I'll know what I'm doing. Or when I get this certification or credential, then I'll feel better. But you don't. And you actually know more. So now you have even more questions. (laughs) So in a way, it's like, it's kind of the opposite, honestly. I sometimes feel like I have more questions now than I used to, but I think it is more of that process. 
Yeah. It's like, well, you can feel good now. Right. And being, you can, you're, and, and the other thing I tell them too, is like, you're already an expert. Oh yeah, absolutely. They, they don't, for, they, but they, they're not in belief of that yet, but you're already, yeah. mm-hmm, period. Um, but then, you know, just building their capacity to own that mm-hmm. and trust that builds. Even How do you work with people when they're, it's like the, the expert thing seems so far off and, and they're not quite there yet. Do you ever just sort of allow people to believe something that maybe might not be as powerful, but gets them closer just because, you know, is there ever a time where telling yourself, oh, I'm an expert and I, whatever it is, wherever they're going, where it's just too far away from what they currently believe to, you know, like, do you need to sometimes take it in increments to get them there? Totally, totally. Because really, I mean, uh, when SL, when, when they come to work with me, usually, you know, if you think about the three causes, perfectionism, hyper productivity programming, and people pleasing, those are all really like trauma, stress responses, mm-hmm. right? So it's really important to kind of titrate and microdose yeah. <laughs> yourself. Mm-hmm. So because it's going to be, you literally have to build your capacity again, because it's really going to be, um, there's things that are going to trigger you and you're going to want to tend to go into fight, flight, freeze. You're going to want to shut down, right? So it's really, that's really, really important, Karen, what you're talking about is we have to do it gently. We have to do it like I'm not like one of those like hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that works for some people. I mean, if it works, great, but it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for people in burnout. That's what I found. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you're in you're in constant stress response. And so, you know, being, you know, I'm not a trauma therapist for sure, but I'm trauma informed, right? And being mm-hmm. able to, we have to do it gradually. We have to do it gently. We have to have all that self-compassion and all that like not self-acknowledgement and self-awareness and just give that space because yeah, you're right. You can't just jump to, okay, Okay, you you told me this, and now I am the expert. Doesn't work like that. I hate that. It drives me crazy when coaches tell you that because I I heard one person describe it. Um, I really liked it. She said something like, "Your brain is a really good BS detector, and if you think you're here, and this person is trying to put you here, you'll immediately reject it and go into a trauma response or." something to that effect where you'll just immediately be like, no, and then you won't do anything that it has to be more of a, just, I want to believe something that's slightly above where I'm at. And then I can build more belief to get me to the next level. Cause I went out and I did things and I had more experiences that helped me to, you know, build whatever beliefs I need to have to get me to that next level. And then you just gradually work up as opposed to zero to 60 full throttle Again, I hate to, I know that some people like that and if it works, but, but yeah, I don't think that works for people who are just 
yeah, <laughs> that are just constantly absolutely. in that burnout. Does not work for burnout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And um, you know, yeah, because when do we give ourselves? We're we're just not taught to give ourselves compassion and space and self trust. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and I can't think of it, but it will come back to me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm curious what kinds of things that people are doing that they think they have to be doing, but they really don't have to be doing. Because I imagine if you're looking at people's routines, that's part of what you're doing where you're trying to figure out where your boundaries are, figure out what do I have to do versus what do I, what are my shoulds that maybe aren't really getting me where I want to go? What kinds of things come up for people? Totally, totally. So, um, so I always, I always, I have this one little exercise where I, I have people do a little download of, we, we fill our, we fill our schedules up. Mm-hmm. We fill And that's part of that, that hyper productivity. My worth is dependent on what I do. And so subconsciously, or consciously, but usually subconsciously, like we really, really fill up our schedules pretty tight. And we just kind of do that inadvertently. Um, and then we wonder, oh my God, I'm so back to back all day. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Um, so we're not giving ourselves space. But one of the exercises that I have people do is that I do a whole do a whole download of all of your have-tos, right? I put that in quotes, air quotes. <laughs> And write down all the things that you're telling yourself, you know, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. So just look at that. Let it be what it is. And then from there, um, I recommend see if you can, you can get to a place where you can turn those have tos into I want to, or I, I'm choosing to because blah, 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 blah. Like I'm choosing to go to work. Because I always say, because I like to pay my electric bill, (laughs) lights, right? So get yourself to a place where you can change that I have to statement to an I choose to or an I want to. And if you can't get yourself there, you know, so it's, so it's believable for you, Mm -hmm. then that's where you need to set a boundary. So that's how you know, okay, this is an area where I need to set a boundary for myself. Um, so it's a good extra little exercise to to tease all that out. So if you identify something is a have to, what kinds of what are some examples that have come up there and and how would you set a boundary around that so that you legitimately do all the things that you have to do? But so also, here's the thing, right? Yeah, Turn, there's no have tos. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Right. So it's like, you know, and and people will are you know say, well, I have to go to work. Like, I have to pay my bills. It's and it's a little tweak, right? It's like, well, yeah, that's true. No one is forcing you to work there. <laughs> right? Like, and and even like, well, I have to take care of my kids. It's like. No, you don't have to. I mean, you could leave them <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. But but just 
like remind yourself gently, right? Gently and hopefully like in a playful way with yourself, not in a judging way. Just just remind yourself like, no, I really do want to take care of my kids. Even yeah. Though. Okay. Right? And reminding yourself, no, I, you know, even if it's just for now, I do want to keep this job because I do want to provide health care for my family. I do want to pay my mortgage or whatever it is, right? And you do want to just anchor yourself into, okay, I do have reasons that I'm choosing Mm -hmm. for now. Maybe it's not where I want to be, but I, you know, you just want to remind yourself of your reasons and you do, you want to like your reasons. And, And that's what I say. If you can't get yourself to a place where you like your reasons enough, that's where you set a boundary. So if it's like, you know, oh goodness trying to think of an example of where you're like, I can't get myself to like my reason for doing this. Right. I don't know. Um, You know, you're on a committee at school or something and it requires you to stay after one time a week or something. And you just can't get yourself to, I'm choosing to do this because, and you can't get yourself to a reason that you like. That's where you need to say, ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. Oh, that's good. You caught me in a pre-programmed have to there a few minutes ago. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's helpful. I think that that I mean it's that really runs deep. I mean, because what those examples you said, where you're like, I of course I have to take care of my kids, but no. I mean, some people really don't take care of their kids. You're choosing to because you want to be a good parent or whatever your reasons are. You want to. Yeah. 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 That's good. Okay. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Okay. So have you noticed that it's it's mostly geared at women, especially moms, this whole messaging around um, wine therapy, like just go like have a glass of wine and everything's going to be okay. And it's almost glorifying drinking wine and alcohol as this restorative activity. And I don't know, I'm just curious if you've noticed that messaging and like what your thoughts are on that. (laughs) Well, yeah, there is that sometimes that. So it's true. Sometimes, you know, in response to burnout, we can tend to develop like coping strategies Mm -hmm. that don't, that might be pleasurable in the moment, but on the, on the backside, right? No, no judgment, right? I always say like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever makes you feel good. But perhaps on the, on the other end of it, there's a negative consequence. Like for me, I used to eat myself into oblivion. <laughs> right. And that actually caused a lot of, you know, physic, my energy levels, it caused a lot of net negative consequences on the other side. So things like that, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that, but sometimes it is helpful to think about, okay, is, is this the strategy that's going to get me where I want to go, you know, six months from now, right. a year from now, three years from now, you know, wh- how is this, how is this coping strategy? Like also acknowledging yourself, like, you know, I'm coping, I'm protecting myself. I always say like, allow that, 
acknowledge it, appreciate it on some level and thank it, right? Because that's taking that strategy that you're, that coping mechanism that you're using is taking care of you for the time being. But also, is it impacting your desires, the things that you, you want Yeah. in the future? I just, it's so yeah. funny. Like it's so, so much marketing is focused around using wine to cope and it's like, ha ha, it's funny. And I mean, I still drink wine sometimes. So yeah, totally no judgment, but <laughs> I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. And just because I know that whenever I drink any alcohol, I can't sleep. And then I feel like garbage the next day. And sleep is so important for if you're in a stage of burnout, you need to sleep. And I imagine that a lot of people, if you are laying down and your head is spinning and that it would be really hard to get into a routine. So if you're using something chemical (laughs) to try to go to sleep and it's actually making it worse, that would probably be counterproductive. It could be, right? Yeah, totally, totally. But there is that. There's a lot of uh, martyrdom and glamification of burnout. Yeah, there definitely is. It's kind of trendy almost where it's like, why are we making this? Why is this a badge of honor? (laughs) Yeah. Like who's, you know, who's leaving work early? Oh my goodness. Right. Like, right. We need to, we need to um, give people space and normalize recovery and, and normalize those just things that are healthy for us. Right. Mm-hmm. We're always, I, I think we do this inadvertently, right. It's total, it's, it's the cultural programming that we've, that we're in, but yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen, and you know, I don't know if, if you are a fan or not, but Amy Schumer has this skit on her show where there's all these women, they are coming together and you know how women kind of, they like to almost insult themselves where they're like, they're like, Oh, your hair looks cute. Oh, it's so gross. I'm whatever. And then like somebody gives you a compliment and then you follow it up with basically insulting yourself and not accepting the compliment. And so there's this group of women and they're all doing that to each other. And then somebody says something to this other woman and she's just like, Oh yeah, thanks. I've been working out a lot or some, I don't know what she said, but she just accepted it and they all just lost their minds. It was like, what? (laughs) You just accepted it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you. Yes, absolutely. That's, you know, that's one of the concepts I teach in my program is, is balancing. We, we are always putting ourselves in doing mode Mm -hmm. because we think doing is how we is how we get worth and value in the world. And um, yes, that's true. We have to do some things. Well, we don't have to, right? But we, it yes, might it's be beneficial true. for us do, to choose some things. <laughs> we do some things, but also we really have to balance it out with receiving. And yeah. and that's the first thing I said. Well, I always say, well, we'll start with seeing if you can receive a compliment. In fact, I just, comp, you know, I just complimented someone at school today. I like your skirt. It's old, she said. 
oh, this is very old, right? That's the first thing we do is we push away and we we have a really hard time receiving. And being able to put yourself in the receiving mode on more levels than just the the compliments. Like I love to, I, I teach the concept of putting yourself in receiving mode when you're working with your clients. Like, wow, when you can just receive who they are and let them be who they are and receive that, that gives you so much more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it just builds you, builds your capacity and your energy as well. So, but starting with catching yourself when you find it hard to, to accept a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had always, a coach. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I had a coach that, that, that taught me, you know, whenever I hear a, a compliment, you know, cause I do, I catch myself saying, Oh no, no, I'm terrible. Right. Oh, like, yeah. I but, but I, I remember she taught me to say, I will receive that. Thank you. <laughs> it sounds weird, but I don't care because that's what I'm practicing. And I know that that works and I know that that builds energy. <laughs> that's it's so funny because what, what, what are you saying to yourself all day? If that's what you say, as soon as somebody uh, says something nice to you. Yes. Yes. Oh. The internal self-talk is a big thing because it's so ingrained and you can't see it on the outside. So it's really hard to catch yourself doing that. Yeah. Just really quickly to loop back. I remembered what I was going to say. Oh, okay. So, but that, that loops back into, you know, one of the things that we really have to teach our brains and our bodies is, is safety. That it's just safe. That, that we have some safety, right. In our bodies and in our, because our, our nervous systems are just, some of us, our nervous systems are just shot from being in fight, flight, freeze and appease mode mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do some of the somatic exercises too, just to get yourself back into your body and, and learn to stopping is very hard for us. Resting is we most SLPs have massive resistance to rest, true rest. Mm -hmm. uh, So learning all those, that's a skill. Yeah, it really is. What other, uh, I know that we are getting close to the end, but are there any other key concepts or takeaways that you teach when you work with people that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Um, let's see. So, yeah, so my, my program in Stop Dreading Monday. So we take things very gently and very slowly. We create a safe environment for ourselves. We acknowledge ourselves because that is a skill that we really need like a really foundational skill that seems so simple, but it's actually, we really need to practice at it. So I teach the, the, some of the safety and somatic exercises that helps you just relax your nervous system a bit so that you can have more access to 
oh, what am I thinking right now? You can just can open yourself up to more of the, you know, we get, we also get into mindset. And so some people call it thought work, right? Like mm-hmm. understanding what you mentioned earlier, like understanding, like, what am I thinking all day? Like, what am I saying to myself? What, mm-hmm. what are all these patterns coming from my subconscious, right? Like, and tying all that usually I always find they all tie back to perfectionist tendencies, people pleasing and hyper productivity programming. Somehow they're all tied back to those things. And once you can start seeing those connections, it, you start seeing it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we have tools. We have tools to unpack it and we have tools to those mechanisms are really, they're just, they're trying to protect us. Right. Right. And so you gotta, instead of just trying to like override it, we have to learn how to be, like work with them and be, be gentle, be gentle with ourselves. Um, and then also in my program, we just teach some good old efficiency hacks, right? Good old. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are always good. Create the space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that you can be able to gently move yourself out of burnout mm-hmm. and take kind of a cyclical approach to it little by little. Um, but also see the path for yourself. Oh yeah. That's huge. That is so hard to do anything if you don't know where you're going. Cause you just have to trust whoever you're talking to. That can be really hard. I yeah. think, you know, especially if you're in kind of a trauma response yeah. to just do anything. Yeah. If you can't at least see the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And break it down enough so that your nervous system, you, so that you can handle it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's huge. So where can people go to learn more about how to work with you and what you do? Okay. So you can go to my website, slpburnoutcoach.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Angie Merced. I'm on Facebook. We have the free Facebook group, SLP Burnout. Uh, let's see, Unstoppable SLP Burnouts. Um, so get in there. There's lots of free resources in there too. And, or just if you want to chat with me, just book a chat with me. Yeah, great. And that's all on your website. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much, Karen. Love it. Be sure to check the show notes for all of Angie's contact information. And again, remember that her Stop Dreading Mondays program is starting the next round next week. So if you are interested in connecting with her, this week would be a great time to do that. Just check the show notes for all of those links. And also, if you have been struggling to help your students generalize, especially if you are working on specific academic skills tied to language and executive functioning, or if you have students who struggle socially and they are showing that they understand what they're supposed to do, but then they're not applying that 
to real life situations and you know that you need to spend some time making tools and resources and collaborating with others, but you have no idea how to make time to do all of that, then definitely check out the generalization guide. To download that guide, just go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash generalization. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash generalization. And then finally, if you know someone who has shown leadership skills in their clinical role or in their role supporting K-12 kids in some way, and you think they would be a great guest for the show, then send me an email at talktome at drkarenspeech.com and let me know about it because I'm always looking for suggestions for future guests. And if you're interested in being a guest, you can email me as well. For now, we will wrap up, but thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.